Welcome to the second CMS Pensions Lawcast in our current de-risking series. This lawcast focuses on the evolving pension super funds market and the pensions regulator's guidance in relation to DB super funds. I'm joined on this lawcast by Kate Richards and Amanda Chammings. Amanda is going to start by giving us an introduction to the stakeholders in the DB super funds market. I'll then be taking a look at TPR's DB super funds guidance aimed at those setting up and running a DB super fund and Kate will then discuss the approach TPR expects trustees to take and the factors employers should bear in mind when considering transferring members to a super fund. Before we get started, I thought it might just be useful to outline what we mean by a DB super fund. They are primarily commercial consolidation vehicles for DB pension schemes, the advantages of which include stronger governance, improved negotiating powers, the ability to leverage off economies of scale, and probably the most important point of all, the possibility to remove risks associated with existing employers. I'll now hand over to Amanda. Hello. As Caroline mentioned, I'm going to talk about the key stakeholders in the DB Superfunds market. The DB Superfunds market has been developing for years now. It really gathered steam over the summer of 2017, and this has in turn led to the creation of innovative new structures, but at the same time has raised concerns around how such structures will be regulated, and in particular, whether they should be subject to the same regulatory requirements that insurers in the bulk annuity market are bound by. The ABI in particular has been quite vocal about its opposition to DB Superfunds, stating its concerns around allowing Superfunds to operate under an untested, light-touch regulatory regime. It's right to say that robust regulation is required in this market, but it's interesting to consider this in the context of the very different models that are out there. When considering the key stakeholders in the market, it's important to understand how they differ. So, who are these new players and how do they operate? The two names that you will probably have heard of are Clara Pensions and the Pension Superfund. They are both classed as DB Superfunds, however, they're structured in very different ways. Whilst they both accept bulk transfers from existing defined benefit schemes and seek to secure the members' benefits using a combination of the scheme's assets and the committed level of buffer capital from investors, Clara operates on a sectionalised basis whereas the Pension Superfund pulls assets together to create one large non-sectionalised scheme. In terms of their end games, the Pension Superfund's target is to run off the liabilities on a self-sufficiency basis, drawing out a return for investors periodically when certain hurdles are met, whereas Clara Pension's objective is to ensure that members' full benefits are ultimately secured in the insurance market, after which time a return for investors is realised, meaning that it's effectively a bridge for less well-funded schemes to buy out. Whilst these are two well-known names in the market, there are others out there. And now that TPR has published its guidance, we may see more players enter into this market. It's also worth noting that the DB Superfunds market appears to be inspiring further innovations that do not necessarily meet the definition of a superfund. For example, earlier this year, a transaction was completed using a capital-backed journey plan, this saw additional capital being provided to the scheme through an investment vehicle backed by Aspinall Capital Partners. Some of the insurers are also innovating in this space. For example, LNG has launched its insured self-sufficiency product, which is a joint insurance and investment solution enabling pension schemes that can't afford buyout to accelerate their de-risking plans. Again, this brings into question how TPR is going to regulate the market, and in particular, without stifling such innovation. 
We've seen TPR's approach starting to take shape through the DB Superfund's guidance that it published in June this year. And it's worth noting that within that guidance is a reference to emerging models in the dynamic developing market that exists and the fact that that guidance may need to change to reflect such developments. I'm now going to pass back to Caroline, who's going to talk about the guidance in a bit more detail. Back in December 2018, the DWP published a consultation paper setting out its plans for an authorisation and supervision framework for DB Superfunds. Whilst a formal response from the DWP is still awaited, TPR published its consultation response in June 2020, simultaneously with its DB Superfunds guidance. There's a lot of detail in the guidance and we only have a short amount of time. So I'm just going to pick out a few key points, namely intervention triggers, value extraction and investment principles. Given the complex nature of the developing super funds market, TPR wants to ensure that the way a super fund invests is appropriate and realisable or transferable for full value to enable 100% of members' benefits to be protected to a high degree of certainty. One of the ways it is sought to do this is by requiring super funds to implement two legally enforceable intervention triggers that result in action being taken at key points signifying risk in a super funds journey. These include a low risk funding trigger, which operates to require the scheme assets to be equal to 100% of TPR's minimum technical provisions level, which are to be calculated using a discount rate of gilts plus a half. If this trigger is hit, all funds in the capital buffer are required to come under the control of the trustees, and notably all capital provided at the outset and any additional capital injections will be lost to investors. And a winding up trigger. This is set at 105% of the Section 179 funding level, unless otherwise agreed by TPR. If this trigger is hit, then the scheme is required to wind up and transfer members out. Alongside protecting members' benefits, this trigger also seeks to protect claims being made on the PPF, which of course is consistent with TPR's objectives. Obviously, investors are putting up buffer capital into commercial consolidators and they're expecting a return. Amanda touched upon the different approaches of the consolidators to extracting that return. TPR's guidance is now clear that for at least the next three years, super funds are not permitted to extract any form of profit before members' benefits are bought out in full. This is in order to ensure that the interests of those investing in super funds are aligned with members and to limit excessive risk taking. It's worth noting that TPR is alive to potential gaming of this principle and they've made their position clear that excessive charging structures, for example, will not be permitted. Finally, I wanted to highlight that TPR is expecting super funds to have agreements in place demonstrating how they comply with the eight investment principles set out in the guidance. Among others, these include ensuring scheme assets are managed in line with asset scale in order to avoid super funds investing in a way that's inconsistent with their scale, limits on illiquid investments to ensure that trustees have access to assets which are readily realisable in the event that the consolidator needs to exit the market and, and transfer to another provider, and finally, assets transferring to the pension scheme or capital buffer must be subject to a transition plan to ensure realignment of those assets to TPR's principles as quickly as possible. I'm now going to pass over to Kate, who's going to discuss the guidance TPR's issued for trustees and employers considering a transfer to a DB super fund. Thank you, Caroline. There's certainly a lot of detail in that guidance. TPR has also published specific guidance to help trustees understand the approach expected of them 
when considering a transfer to a super fund, and also the factors that employers should take into account in the same circumstances. We also understand that this guidance is expected to be updated in the coming months. So, looking first at the requirements for trustees, as expected, trustees must be satisfied that transferring to a DB super fund is in members' best interests. And in particular, trustees need to take account of, first, the scheme's current funding position on a solvency basis, along with any deficit reduction contributions, and the funding position and long-term objective of the super fund. It's also worth noting here that the guidance Caroline referred to earlier states that TPR would not expect a super fund to accept the transfer of a scheme where the scheme already has the ability to buy out or is on course to do so within the foreseeable future, i.e. within the next three to five years, which could tie in with the trustees' requirement to have a long-term funding objective. In addition, TPR expects trustees to obtain an independent covenant assessment which sets out a clear conclusion in relation to the employer's ability to support the scheme for the foreseeable future. Trustees also need to satisfy themselves that members' interests will be better protected by a DB super fund rather than remaining in the current scheme with the sponsoring employer. In order to do so, the trustees must obtain actuarial advice, setting out the projected outcomes for members as to how they compare if the scheme transfers to the super fund or remains with its sponsoring employer. However, the onus is on the super fund to provide the projections of members' benefits in the super fund. As noted earlier, TPR is obviously concerned about the risk to members' benefits in this developing market. But it is interesting to compare these requirements to those of a standard merger where a bulk transfer of members' benefits could be made to a scheme with an employer of matching strength, or indeed a slightly weaker employer, subject to appropriate mitigation. Arguably, there is more flexibility in that scenario. Looking at the employer side, the advantage for an employer of transferring its pension scheme to a DB super fund is obviously that it no longer has any liability to fund the scheme. TPR's guidance provides that the employer is responsible for ensuring that the trustees have everything they need, including the necessary resources and information to consider a transfer. In particular, TPR expects the employer to pay for any professional advice the trustees need as part of their consideration of a proposed transfer. It is worth noting that in many cases, the desire to investigate a consolidator will be driven by the trustee rather than the employer. Now to talk about clearance. TPR has also made it clear that as transferring to a super fund removes the employer covenant, this will potentially be a materially detrimental event. And therefore, there is an expectation that seeding employers will apply for clearance in relation to a transfer to a super fund. This will be a new category of a clearance type A event. At the same time, TPR will also expect to see evidence of a seeding trustee's due diligence, and TPR will assess whether any detriment to the scheme has been adequately mitigated and ensure that the scheme 
could not achieve a better outcome through other means. So now I'm going to pass back to Caroline to close. Thanks, Kate. And thank you for joining us for the second CMS Pensions Lawcast in this de-risking series. We hope that you found it interesting and that you'll join us again for our last Lawcast in the de-risking series, which will focus on bulk annuities. If you have any questions, please do send them to us by email. Thank you for listening.